Hey everybody, it's Kyla. Welcome to my channel where we talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. Today I want to talk about the Federal Reserve and I want to talk about a bunch of other stuff, uh, VCs, Reddit, etc. I think some of these deserve their own video, so if you're interested in more deep dives or analysis on that, just let me know and I can do a deeper thought piece. But first off, I was in New York this past week and I'll have links to all the things that I did. But I was on CNBC, ETF Edge with Bob Pisani, which was so fun, talked about financial education. I spoke at Bloomberg Invest. If you're familiar with the newsletter or the YouTube channel, you'll kind of know what I talked about. It was all of those sorts of things. And then I did a session with Interintellect, which will be a monthly series in New York. So if you're interested in joining, just let me know and we can sort something out. And then I did some stuff with the book and Penguin Random House, uh, which I'm so excited for that book to be released into the wild next year. I'll have a lot more information on that over the coming months as well. My dear friend Cam went in my place to the world premiere of This Is Not Financial Advice, a brilliant documentary from Chris Temple and his team on the whole GameStop saga, which feels so long ago now. I spoke at Fast Company's Impact Council and am pumped for some stuff with them over the next coming months. And then I met some really amazing thinkers and doers, so amazing that I can barely speak today, apparently. Uh, so, but let's talk about the economy, enough about me. Uh, so things are not working the way that they always have. This has been a theme on the channel for the past several videos, and I think it's important to dive into each time I talk. Uh, but, you know, we had the Fed meeting yesterday and the Fed skipped, but this is not bouncing through a field of daisies sort of skip. This is the skip that you might do to avoid a mysterious puddle in the middle of the sidewalk. It's a different type of skip. And then the third point is that money is not a moral compass. So the Fed skips. I really like this quote from Sherry Ning. One way to build up confidence is by keeping promises you make to yourself. If you always let yourself down, you'll start feeling like there's nothing stable to depend on internally. Confidence boils down to having trust in your own abilities. That's the antidote to insecurity. It's really good just for personal reflection. Like there's definitely times where I break promises to myself and it really impacts how I see myself um, later that day. And it's also a good framework for how we think about the Federal Reserve. They're trying to keep promises that they made, mostly to the markets, but they're also trying to maintain that element of Fed cred. So the Fed is using this last meeting to communicate a few things. They say, hey, listen, everyone, markets, we know that inflation isn't quite where we want it to be, but we have been absolutely ripping rates, 10 increases, rates are above 5%, and we've been moving fast and furious, and now we're going to take a breather but that doesn't mean that we are off our game no this is the pit stop and we'll come zipping around that bin and knock you to the ground with sheer momentum if we need to fed skipped a rate hike in this meeting is because they wanted to preserve optionality they want to hike if they need to but they don't want to be assigned to that responsibility but the fed is also projecting a soft landing meaning that they see an improvement in the overall economic vibes in their group forecast, they're no longer saying, yikes, here comes a recession. They're expecting stronger GDP growth, lower unemployment, as well as higher core PCE. So they expect inflation to be higher. They plan to hike rates two-ish more times to get the Fed funds rate down to or up to 5.5% to 5.5% by the end of this year. And it's sort of funny because over the last few months, um, inflation, this big monster thing that we've been trying to manage is still a big question mark. This is something that I've talked about for a lot of people talk about. It. It's like we don't really kind of know where the inflation is coming from because it's coming from so many different angles. The Fed is like maybe everything that we thought about wage price spirals is actually wrong and workers aren't driving inflation. So we kind of don't know what's causing inflation because it is so many different things. The whole thing is like, well, is it corporate greed or is it workers or what? There's a great piece uh, that sort of talks about this more. That talks about the moral economy of price setting where excuse inflation or the idea that companies will raise prices if they can. 
Brian writes in this piece about price hikes by some corporations, firms with pre-existing but unexercised market power saw the sudden softening of the moral economy constraint as an opportunity to exercise latent market power that they had all along. It ties into the work that Isabella Weber has been doing in this idea. Well, <laughs> companies love a good opportunity and they'll raise prices if they can. Inflation is, of course, a lot of things. As Skanda from Employ America said, it's not just used cars, it's not just rent. You need to look at the component level across all components and think hard about supply and demand driven causes and the assortment of methodological weeds that inevitably matter. And a lot of recent papers are like, well, it's not the labor market, though. Like, it's not workers. And I think this is so important. It's not labor costs. The Chicago Fed published a paper that came to a conclusion that labor costs don't really drive inflation, but inflation does drive labor costs. Again, it's not labor costs. The San Francisco Fed also published a piece finding that labor cost uh, growth uh, has virtually no impact on inflation. It's responsible for only about 0.1% of recent core PCE inflation, and it's what the Federal Reserve has spent a lot of time battling. Confusion is confusing, even to an, an economist. As Jeet here wrote, a lot of economists are very mad. Heterodox ideas, MMT, greedflation, neo-Brandeis, antitrust, industrial policy are gaining traction. What's telling is these economists blame this on journalists and social media, which is really proof on how disconnected from reality they are. Like, it's all weird, right? Beyonce caused some inflation via rising hotel prices in Sweden, and Taylor Swift boosts the GDP of local economies when she goes to her concert there. Things are wild, like, things are weird, and I think the most important thing is, of course, how people are feeling. The Fed's May survey of consumer expectations shows that inflation expectations are chilling out. People are worrying a little bit less about inflation, which is really good for that whole rational inattention idea that Jerome Powell has talked about before. The main thing here is that Taylor Swift is an economic unit and also that the Fed is managing the economy really well, all things considered. The labor market has been incredibly resilient. There's a world where the rate hikes would have obliterated it, but it's been mostly okay. And of course, the obvi obvious caveat of so far things can change, uh, and that's largely why the Fed skipped. It's about making people feel okay. And I know I talk a lot about feelings, but I think this is also just important. Like, uh, sort of like going to all these sessions and doing all these talks, like it really is just about how people are feeling and how they're doing and making sure that they're doing okay. So wealth is a social function. Bloomberg published a piece stating that Americans say they need 2.2 million to be considered wealthy, but not really, right? Like mostly they just need enough money in the bank account not to worry. Um, it's about keeping up with the Joneses when we get into feeling wealthy. Like what does that actually look like? Uh, it's a comparison game. It's a social function. And then I think there's an important element to feelings with regards to framing. So zero hedge is so harmful. I can't stand them. But this headline is funny because it's like, well, if things are okay. No, they aren't. The headline says, no collapse is the real dystopia. But if you subscribe to this zero hedge ideology, you'll shake your fist and say, yeah, things are okay. And I'm pretty mad about that, which is bizarre. You know, wealth is based around how others are doing and how things are framed matter for how we see the world around us, obviously. Uh, so VC has always been stupid. Hmm. Oh uh, yeah, okay. So I think the VC industry is just a prime example of the weirdness and framing and narrative. Saar put together these charts showing that VC has always just been dumb money, largely chasing what everyone else is doing. It's social signaling, it's herd mentality. Uh, Chris, this guy on Twitter, argued that this is actually just how VC works. Something becomes possible, money and talent flip the market, then the invisible hand compresses and the opportunity goes away. This is working as intended. And okay, sure, like, okay. <laughs> I don't like when people say stuff like that. And I think that's like a, you know, disclaimer, Kyla opinion. But 
when we st- when we say things like oh it's working how it's always worked maybe we should really sit back and reflect on the capital burn that is happening here the intention and the impact are completely misaligned um and the money that could be going towards making things better like th- climate health etc but of course the problem with investing in things that make the world better is that they don't have high multiples Therefore, the VCs often choose not to invest in it because no money can be made. There are returns to generate people to pay hypothetically. Uh, so before I began writing the book, I was exploring this idea, which I'll return back to once, uh, once it's time, of creating a financial education company. And it was interesting talking to VCs, just sort of getting a sense of the market. And everyone was like, education does not have a high enough multiple for us. It's not investable because we can't make a bunch of money off of it. And that as a business model makes a lot of sense. You need to turn a profit. But for a net net good for the world, it doesn't make a lot of sense. CalPERS, uh, the fund that manages California's pension for state school and public agency employees, can attest to the efficiencies of venture capital with their 0.49% annualized return on their VC portfolio from 2000 to 2020. What the heck? So it isn't working, it doesn't work, and it's a loop that will beat on to infinity because it works for some people, this model. And I wanna talk about Reddit and streaming, so I've been obsessed with the nostalgia cycle and what that means for cultural production. Like one thing that I'm a little concerned about is that if we're constantly exposed to the same ideas, how do we ever move forward? And of course, stories are always structurally the same, but the ideas posited in them change as time evolves, ideally. Streaming, Netflix, etc., as Vulture highlighted, is part of the problem. The entire industry has moved from a world of Newtonian economics into a world of quantum economics, where two things that seem to be in opposition can be true at the same time. You can have a massive hit on your platform, but it's not actually doing anything to increase your platform's revenue. It's absolutely conceivable that the streaming subscription model is the crypto of entertainment business. It's much more profitable to play into the nostalgia cycle. And it makes sense to focus on profit because that is how you survive the howling jaws of the stock market. Uh, But at what cost, right? Like beyond dollar signs, like what are we losing out on? Um, And this gets into what is happening with Reddit too. So so Reddit is trying to IPO. The CEO wants the company obviously to look very, very good. Um, And so they made API access like a billion dollars and it's vaporizing all these third party apps that interact with Reddit. And this made Reddit users very, very mad. Reddit users are very special because they love the platform so much. Um, They're piecing out though. They're shutting down subreddits, user-created community that are moderated by users. Reddit is nothing without users and free labor, essentially. Alex wrote a brilliant article for The Defector. Internet's best resources are almost universally volunteer-run and donation-based, like Wikipedia and the Internet Archive. Every time a great resource is accidentally created by a for-profit company, it is eventually destroyed, like Flickr and Google Reader. We are living through the end of the useful internet. The decades of real human conversation hosted at places like Reddit will prove useful training material for the mindless bots and deceptive marketers that will replace it. And like, this is nothing new, right? Good things are usually sort of skewed by money. Money is important, but money is not a moral compass. And that's something that I've talked a lot about. You know, you have Instapot, which is that pot where you can like put a bunch of stuff in and it cooks it and you, you have food. It's declaring bankruptcy largely because of private equity. There was a post in DebtWire in September 2022 that explained the horrific financial situation 
that instant pot somehow find their their way into. In April 2021, Instant Brands issued a new USD $450 million first lien term loan in large part to fund about USD $245 million of dividend distributions. The guys wanted to pay themselves and women, presumably. The company was faltering and they said, what if we made that so much worse and then profited? And it's really one of those times where we should sit back and say, like, how do you mess up a pot? <laughs> Right, and uh, subsequently ask, what, what are we doing here? What's, what's the point? And so going back to feelings and whatnot, I think you see VCs throw billions of dollars into AI wrappers and see things like Instapot blowing up because some PE guys wanted a big old dividend, and a site like Reddit <laughs> becomes sort of lost in the sauce uh, as a cornerstone of the internet and a lot of data for our, association, for our movement into the AI world. It's a bummer. It's a bummer. It's a bummer. It's a bummer. It sucks. It sucks a lot. And structurally, things are designed around money and the idea is that money will be efficient. Markets will make it work. We all know the core tenet of capitalism. But I think it's increasingly clear that this is funky, right? Like, money is not directing... It's not efficient in the way that we would need it to be. You know, money itself is not bad. I'm not going to come on here and say something like that because it's just not true. If we shifted BC incentives towards climate and health, that would be like a really good use case for money. <laughs> if Reddit was like, yo, our users are sort of the whole site and we should respect this free labor that they're willing to do for us, that would be awesome. It's framing and it's social functions and narrative, all those things. If we shift the frame, okay, okay is not bad actually, and realign the social function to focus on forward-looking moments rather than just the past. Nostalgia is useful, but maybe not always productive. I think that'd be a great thing. I wish I had like more big conclusions, but I think just being like, hey, um, what the heck, when we do have some things that deserve to be what the heck is important within its own context. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for hanging out. I have a bunch of links on the kyla.substack.com, um, Instagram, YouTube, whatever, you know, where to find me. I hope y'all are doing very good, and I'll talk to you very soon. Bye.